Hello, Bizzlecast listeners. I am the Bizzle. And I'm Jedi Geeko from I Rebel. Welcome to the Star Wars Lorecast. Presented by the Bizzlecast. And may the Force be with us. No. Or do not. There is no try. Happy beach here, buddy. Come on. Copy that. We're almost there. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? Go away! Jimmy, what are you doing here? When I found you, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. The potential of your bloodline. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. The Bizzle! Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome to the lore cast presented by the Bizzlecast featuring Jedi Geek Curl of Irabelle. People, if you are joining me tonight, you are here for a very special night. And it's not because I am yet again talking about the thing that I love so much, Rogue One, but because when you spend so much time on something like a podcast over many years, occasionally you meet someone you didn't think you were going to meet and you become friends with them in a way that you didn't think was going to happen. And then you connect with them on something like Star Wars. And then when you think you've talked about everything, all of a sudden, in a, a huge event happens that makes your both personal and professional relationship even cooler. And so tonight is a perfect example of that, where we are having a Jedi Geekle here talking about her newfound love and respect for Rogue One. Jedi Geekle, I want to welcome you. And before I officially welcome you to the podcast, I need you to tell the business cast listeners unconditionally categorically the idea for doing a rogue one podcast is 100 percent your idea oh totally after my twitter craze about talking about rogue one like tweeting every two to five minutes yeah it was totally my idea because we had to revisit it after i went back and we watched it and, and guys, the reason I need Jedi Geek Girl to, to say that is not because I don't want to talk about, because you know I could talk about Rogue One forever, but just to save my credibility because of how much time on and off the podcast I, I start talking about this movie. But Jedi Geek Girl, you, uh, recently rewatched it for the first time in a while and started tweeting about it. And I happened to follow your tweets and you don't often tweet live while watching movies and you were uh, tweeting some amazing quotes and 
parts about the movie and I'm sitting there reading the tweets and I'm going, is this really happening? Like, is she having like a real like experience, like a new experience of what's going on here with this movie? I knew you liked the movie a lot, but I could tell something had changed. So really quickly, before we get into our discussion of what changed about Rogue One in the mind of a Jedi geek girl, what happened? First of all, why did you decide to watch it on that particular night? Let's start there. I was in the mood for watching something. I was mm-hmm. in the mood of multitasking, which I usually don't get to because I notice I want to focus on something that I am doing. And I felt like, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to put something on while I'm doing something and actually pay attention to what I'm watching. And as I'm going through my head of things to watch, I was thinking about going back and watching The Clone Wars with Darth Maul. I was thinking about re-watching Rogue One because of our comment, not Rogue One, Episode One because of our commentary. Mm-hmm. I thought about maybe going back and re-watching Last Jedi, but I didn't want to do it back-to-back till Force Awakens. And I'm like, well, I've been wanting to re-watch the original trilogy for a while. However, I kind of wanted to do them back-to-back-to-back. And then I'm like, well, you know... The one film that I can watch without having to worry about watching something else or something that I think I would want to focus more on, it like the Clone Wars with Darth Maul, I'm like, well, Rogue One sounds like perfect. And, well, I did get my job done, but I really got dist- distracted and I really got absorbed into the movie. So, guys, let me just set the scene here real quick. So, I was following her on Twitter. We were communicating a little bit, uh, me and Jedi Geek Girl. Um, and I know the movie by heart, basically, obviously. I mean, we know all the Star Wars movies by heart, but I really know Rogue One by heart. And you got you were about halfway through the movie, and I was like, you know what? I think I know about where she is. And so, while I need to be doing other things, why don't I put it on in the background and try and like line it up kind of close? And so, I put it on sort of halfway through the movie, and was still following your tweets, and I was sort of watching in the background, and blah, 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 blah. And that was great by itself. And I could tell you were getting emotional about it, and you were very affected. And of course, I'm always getting emotional about it and affected, and I was getting emotional that you were getting emotional, and all of this stuff. And then you said, you were like we need to do a podcast about that and I was just it's not that it was a shock that you wanted to do a podcast about Rogue One I guess I I, I wasn't expecting it at that time and place and so it, it, it kind of took me by surprise and, and got me very excited yeah I knew that I really wanted to talk about it because it was almost like you know okay so let's step back for a little bit mm-hmm. you know how you're in a relationship with somebody that you love and you fell in love with them and you've been living with them for a while you still love them but then all suddenly you have a moment of realization whether they do something with you or they say something or they do something in their own life and you're like god I love you that was how I was feeling after Rogue One I was like oh my god I love Star Wars it's not that I fell in love with Star Wars because I already love Star Wars but Oh, God, I, I, I love Star Wars. And that was a moment of realizing, yes, I am in love with Star Wars. Kind of. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had that quote in front of me. I actually sent it to my dad when you posted that because it was beautiful because you were saying, you weren't saying this was my favorite movie and it's the best Star Wars ever, blah, blah, blah. But you were like, this movie made me realize essentially how much I love this property. Um, if I recall correctly, I think. Yeah, something like that. I got to it's up on my twitter account yeah. but. so guys so here's 
We're going to set some ground rules here, because obviously, if you've ever listened to any Bizzlecast ever, even if it has nothing to do with Star Wars, you know my uh, how in love I am with Felicity Jones and Jenner, so how much I love Rogue One. Also love Cassian as well. So we were, tr- we were discussing how we should do this particular Rogue One podcast. Obviously, this is mostly going to be coming from a Jedi Geek Girl's perspective and honestly guys i don't know where this is going because we have talked rogue one on these podcasts before but not in any real depth in terms of going through the movie so this will be a lot of new for me just like it will be for you guys um and so i wanted to give jedi geek girl uh some opening thoughts about this but an idea i ran by her which i think you're cool with jgg was spoiler alert guys from here going forward everybody dies in the movie basically and since i talk mostly about Jin and a lot about cassian i actually thought it would be interesting to talk about the character's in reverse, starting with uh, the, the order in which they die, I know that's a bit macabre and a little bit morbid, but the idea is to start with some of the, you know, quote-unquote, you know, smaller characters of the main crew and then work towards Jin and Cassian, which I've spent a lot of airtime on and haven't, t- you know, other than in my Rogue One commentaries, haven't talked as much about some of the other characters we love and then some of the secondary characters like Krennic and Jin's dad Galen and so forth. So we thought that would be like an interesting way of of doing it that's in the spirit of the movie um but really quickly jackie girl before we start with the characters i want to give you an open forum here to tell the listeners what changed in this movie watching for you to the point where it made you reevaluate how you felt about it and even maybe bumped it up uh i don't know where it is but it bumped it up a few spots on your your star wars list I think to understand what changed, we really have to go back to when I watch, first watched the movie. When I first saw the movie, I don't know, I don't think I was really excited for it. I mean, it was a new Star Wars film, and I was excited to see it, but it really wasn't, it, there wasn't really that much of an investment for me, like the Skywalker's film. And when I saw it, I wasn't feeling well. I had a lot of personal issues going on, and... It was a pretty dark period in my life, and I saw it, and I really enjoyed it, but I had a bad angle and everything going on. I don't know if I was able to enjoy it the fullest, and I loved the Skywalker saga. I loved The Force Awakens, so I was like, you know, I, you know I'm still going to be episode 7 ahead of, ahead of it. You know, I went back and watched it. I really liked the emotion of it, but... It just, it didn't really sit with me because I was looking for that deep philosophical analysis or attachment that I usually get with, within films. And I did rewatch it last year with my roommate when we were rewatching all the Star Wars films, but they talked during the film and I wasn't able to really get too absorbed into it. Plus, we were marathoning through all the movies. And mm-hmm. so, fast forward to this last rewatching, uh, I saw Solo. And I, you know, I've talked about it on here. I talk Mm. about it on my podcast. I talk to you about it on social media. It did not connect with me. Mm -hmm. And it did not connect with me because I wasn't emotionally invested into the story. I wasn't having an emotional reaction. And I think if I did not see Solo, I don't know if I would have reacted to Rogue One the way that I did. Because it gave me what I want from a story and what I want from Star Wars, and that is that personal emotion 
that personal emotional connection that I get from Rogue One that I didn't get from Solo. Mm. And that, and I don't want to really get into it, but I found a lot of the quotes applicable to what's going on in the culture because no matter what side that you're on, it, 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 it will, the culture is just decreasing. Fandom is on the downslide. It's just political environment. It's just, I found myself connecting to the film that, in a way that I could take what the film was saying and a lot of the beats in it and apply it to real life and that eternal fight for what you believe is right. So, uh, I, you know, I want this to be mostly about your experience. So I don't want to go into wider uh, social culture. I will say, even before Solo, the very split reaction over The Last Jedi. I noticed a lot of people reevaluating their lists and Rogue One was already going up. And then you had Solo, which a lot of people didn't even see just out of apathy. And Rogue One continues to climb on people's lists. Um, I, I'm not going to say I'm shocked, uh, but it does kind of make sense that that, that, that would be uh, the case, especially if you love the idea of the anthology movies, but you don't really love Solo. Like Rogue One kind of fits more into that maybe, maybe what you're looking for. The notion that this was a time period, yes, that we know about, and it technically with the Death Star plans was an event that we knew about, but what made the movie great, in my opinion, was that it was all new characters and it's about their characters character story that that led to the death star you know plan stuff and the whole scarif battle but what made it great was that it was all new characters and we got to learn uh their story um but i i i i think it is interesting though that you did bring up your experience with solo because you could have had the opposite reaction jedi king curl where you said i'm just not into these anthology movies right and 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 just left it at that well you know how they say that you don't really know what you like until you experience something that you don't like or you don't shop around and something like that. And with the last three, excluding solo films under the Disney Lucas banner, banner, I enjoyed all of them. It wasn't until I experienced a film that really didn't connect with me. Not that it's a bad film. I thought it was enjoyable, but we'll not get into it. It's just it wasn't until I felt disappointed in an experience that it really made me realize what I like in Star Wars and why I love Star Wars, if that makes sense. So once I knew that about myself and my approach to Star Wars, going back and rewatching Rogue One, I was able to connect to what I connect to in a level. It's like, okay, this is what I love and this is making me... I don't want to use the word pleasurable, but this is this is satisfying me so well that... You know, I didn't give the film a fair shake because I loved everything up until Solo. And once I experienced Solo, I was like, yep, I know what I like, I know what I enjoy, and I'm going to revel in it. You know, and that's one thing I really I really like about you. I love having you on the podcast is that not that you changed your mind or something about Rogue One, but that you are self-aware enough 
to know that let's put it this way a lot of people aren't self-aware enough to understand that like the mood or situation or life situation they're in when they see a movie could affect what they think about a movie that's happened to all of us but some people are just more self-aware about it and some some people aren't and it's possible you were in you know in another world you saw it in a great mood and you didn't like it and you still didn't like it or whatever but just the fact that you were self-aware and self-conscious enough to think about that I think is something I, I wish more moviegoers would do um uh but on top of that uh what what i think is so interesting is just based on your tweets and a little bit of the conversation we've had you know since you watched it was that you really opened yourself up to what was going on as if it were a fresh experience which is what i love about movie watching for my own self so to lead into the main topics here jedi you go really quickly uh, before we get to the characters and, and the real, the, you know, the real, the real deep stuff, what was the moment or moments in the movie where you asked, you, you know, where you you said to yourself, "Okay, I think maybe I like this movie more than I remember," or "There's more going on here than I remember." Like, what was the moment or moments that 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 kind of hit you? There were so many moments. It, they just kept on coming. I know that the first moment that I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to enjoy this more than what I originally did the first time or the first few times is the introduction of Krennic. I love Ben Mendelssohn. I'm not good at pronouncing, but I love his acting. I love yeah. the subtle and stuff like that. I love his when he's talking to Gail in the mm-hmm. beginning. And he just, he just, he, he you want to like him. He's a villain, but he, he has that, you know what I'm talking about, that charisma and the we way that he We haven't seen an Imperial talk. bad guy like him before, for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. Exactly. And when I first watched the film or the first few times, I kind of wrote him off as a brief, unimportant character, but it's not about his time in the film more than it's about his performance and how he delivered his lines and his presence in the film, even though it is a small story set across what a week or two, not counting the prologue. And it's not about that, about a character like these characters, all of them are just in Rogue One with a few in the books and comics, but this story is not that long, but you still get invested into them. In a way that I kind of wrote off before because you don't have that long period of time to get attached to them. Mm. Hmm. And then, when, I mean, and then where was like a moment in the movie? So you're already going, okay, I like this more than I remember. Uh, you know, m- maybe I need to reconsider this. But was there like a key moment in the film? It doesn't have to be like a, a specific, like, how do I say this? This would be a key moment in terms of like in action, but in ter- or, or it could be an extended scene or, or scenes where you're like, I think this is moving up my list. I don't know how far, and I don't know how far it's moving up the list, but like when you were just like, okay, the, I, I need to reconsider where this is in my own personal sort of Star Wars mythology. I think when I realized that it when I noticed a thing that kind of like bugged me before it didn't bug me like when Jen gets the hologram of her father and they have that moment where Galen is having a speech to his daughter and she's breaking down and the lights and the dust fires the first couple of times I watched that the timing was a bit off and when I watched it this last time it did not bother me that much and 
Hmm. I love the performance that Felicity gives on Jen with her emotions. And I know about what is going through her head and the books and stuff like that. And I was able to buy into the subtlety of, you know, a, like a, you see the crack and you see the emotion build and build and suddenly she goes to her knees. Before, that didn't really sit right to me. I thought it was too subtle. I thought it could have been a little bit more bold. But this last time, I really bought into it and I really appreciated her performance. And I'm like, you know, that that was brilliant. I, I don't think you could have done it better. Yeah, in fact, we, we did a podcast since you've watched it and I brought that up. Um and I said, I think that's the most uh, just straight up affecting, brilliant, dramatic performance, maybe of all of Star Wars in the sense of getting away with something that you see in a lot of dramatic Hollywood movies, but no, don't normally see in Star Wars. But Felicity Jones with Saw Gerrera there and with her dad, Galen Erso, played by Mads Mikkelsen, really pulled off. To me, is is just from a straight emotional standpoint, one of the most affecting things I've ever seen in any Star Wars movie. Yeah, I don't want to call anybody out, but I, I don't know how you don't have some sort of emotional reaction to that scene, especially with how applicable it can be to real life, because there are people in that situation. And if that's not applicable to you, just her performance, and you buy into the story and the setting, and you can understand, you know, because she basically, you know, she said, I like to think that he's dead, mm-hmm. you know, and then... The father that she thinks abandoned her basically says, no, I did this for you. Mm -hmm. I didn't do this because, you know, I was compromising myself and turning bad. No, I was making a sacrifice for you so you could let and I could do the only thing I could do to make sure that was possible. One of the things I love about that scene is you've got the initial conversation with her and saw and then saw it seems like saw is going crazy paranoid again you know saying are you a spy here to kill me i think he's just kind of testing her and messing with her and he asks her about the cause and you know she says she doesn't care about the cause and he says yeah as as we put in 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 your theme you know you stand to see imperial flags rain across the galaxy and Jin very 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 sadly and cynically says you know it doesn't matter if you don't look up essentially and that that's the moment when saw you can see his his um his face change, and that's when he's like, you need to see this, and, and shows her uh, the father's hologram. There's so many subtle touches like that. You know, he's like, he, she needs to see this, this girl, and that cha- that's it. I mean, from that moment, Jin goes from like a bitter, just working for herself, loner rogue, to wanting to save the galaxy. You know what I mean? Like, as soon as she realizes her dad's alive, and he's connected to this thing, and that she can help, you know, she's she's on it even before the rest of the the rogue one team is on it so if you're cool to jump into the main characters here i, I was going to make that jump i, I don't want to step on any uh, ideas you had oh i just want to say one more thing yeah. before we get to the characters and i tweeted this out when i stated that this film i believe was ahead of its time mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of the messages it puts out in the story is applicable to the current environment that wasn't going on at that point in time and mm. I, I, I'm I'm astounded how 
equitable this movie is right now, and it, it's amazing. So before we jump into the characters, JGG, I, I, I do have to give this piece of sort of film history, which is that we all know that there were major reshoots on Rogue One. And if you watch the early trailers, a lot of those lines don't even make it into the movie. The early trailers were even way darker than what the movie ended up being. Even though it was a dark, violent war movie and they all died, uh, there was a, a sort of cynicism uh, in the early trailers that they really that they, they really modified. They took out some lines I would have left in. They took out some lines I, I would have been fine with. Uh, um, or I was fine with them them taking out, but they clearly wanted to give more dimensionality to the characters, which included giving more humor to some of the characters. And so, why don't we just jump in to the character that was a lot of people's favorite, just from like a fun fan standpoint? And even though we knew he was going to be funny, and we got a couple funny lines in the trailers. 99% of K2SO's hilarious lines were completely saved for the movie and killed in the theaters. I mean, people laughed a lot during The Last Jedi, but I didn't hear any laughter uh, in... Uh, um, I'm sorry. There was some humor in uh, Force Awakens that killed in the theater, but in Last Jedi and Han Solo, I, I didn't hear nearly as many laughs as K2SO got, even in such a dark movie like Rogue One, in my personal viewings of the movie. And pulling off, you know, irreverent droid humor in such a dark film is really, really, really difficult. K2SO, clearly a fan favorite. And when he dies as the first of the crew to die, it was sort of a signal that things were, were, were going downhill. Um, what, what's your feeling about, and Jay, just going forward, this will go without saying, which is, it has to do with, you know, th did your view of these particular characters change over time? I won't keep asking that particular question. That'll just be implicit. So, what's your view of 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 K two? Uh, well, go again, going back to the beginning, uh, K two SO was one of my favorite characters from the film, and he has since kind of lit down a little bit. That doesn't mean he isn't a good character. It just means that he's learned to appreciate the other more, but. I do believe that he's close to a perfect droid that we have seen on film. I think the special effects really nailed it. The humor, the personality. He is a droid that sticks out in a way that I think L3 lacks a little bit. The, the way that he is, the way that he is honest with his words and the movements of the eyes. It's just, yeah, it just, it just sticks with you in a way that I don't think any of the other humanoid droids still that we have seen on film. I agree with you. I, I thought I, I already knew going to solo that that uh, L three and this is no insult on L three because I I really liked L three. I knew L three was going to be sort of the female sassy version of K two. Um, essentially, but what I thought was really interesting, Jay Geeker, that I've been talked a lot about on the podcast is both of them were essentially wanted to be equal to humans, but L3 was constantly bringing up the fact that she was not equal to humans, even though she seemed to have free will staying with Lando. Whereas K2, my thing about K2 is you can't compare him to the other droids because for me, K2SO is a crew member that happens to be a droid, right? Oh, and I... Yeah. I agree 100%. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, yeah, I have to agree with you 100%. He actually feels like a a capable character where L3, no disrespect, doesn't really feel like that. Mm -hmm. She feels like 
Well, she is a droid. K2SO actually feels like a crew member and a character. Yeah, I mean, he's the pilot, and he's second in command, you know? I mean... He's also the first member of the Rogue One crew. I mean, not, in class, not including Jin, obviously, but in the rescue of Jin. Congratulations, you're being rescued. So he's actually, we meet him, uh, from Jin's perspective, we meet him even before she meets Cassian. And, you know, he's always threatening to leave them behind and he doesn't trust Jin and blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's ultimately, it's ultimately coming from a good place. I, I have a theory. They talk about him being a reprogrammed Imperial droid. I don't think they reprogrammed him to be like the pro rebel droid. I actually think they reprogrammed him to be a free will droid and he just chose to join the rebellion because he doesn't seem like a slave in the same way L3 doesn't seem like a slave. He genuinely seems to feel like an equal to Cassian and Cassian treats him that way. And it, as cool as the sort of robot rebellion was in Solo, it kind of hits you over the head a little hard. I thought K2 was way more subtle, again, treating him as a crew member that happened to be a droid. The thing, and I don't really want to drill on it too much, I think one of the problems with L3 is that she was too human, like from her movement and... The droid rights thing was a little bit too real life-ish. I feel like, and the implied relationship between her and Lando, I thought it made her a little bit too human. Where K2SO, I really, while he did feel like a crew member and an actual character, he didn't feel like he was being forced into, you know, a human role, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Do do you agree with me that just from an artistic filmmaking standpoint, Killing uh, K2 first among the main crew and the way he dies was a really smart move by uh, Gareth Edwards and the writers. Oh, I agree 100%. It would be like if Chewbacca died, if you were going mm-hmm. to kill off the big big four, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's a great comparison. I mean, that's why K2 is so brilliant. It's because he's more similar to characters like Chewbacca than other droids. He definitely captures you know if he, if he was a real life being you'd be like hey i want to hang out with this being because they are in fun and enjoyable and while the honesty might be acknowledged acknowledged obnoxious it's nice and refreshing to have that level of honesty and bluntness like hey you know like no uh, not me I, I wouldn't die in space you know that's honesty that you just you don't get a lot of you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah, I love K2. And Alan Tudyk is hilarious. I know you're a Firefly fan. I'm a Firefly fan. Anyone who's watched it knows how funny he is. Um, and he was there, guys, on stilts the whole time doing motion capture. Um, that slap of Cassian and Jetta was actually an accident. And you can see Cassian laugh. You can see Diego Luna laughing a little bit after he gets slapped because it was sort of an accident. Uh, in, in Jedi there. And I, I've said Jedi geek girl. Um, I don't want to sidetrack too much. I've said that Jedi is where you're either in or out on rogue one. And I think everyone has a different moment in Jedi, but like when K2 comes and starts making fun of them and then grabs the grenade and throws it behind his shoulder, kills the stormtroopers, slaps Cassian, blah, 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 blah. You've you know, this really dark violence, but you've got humor at the same time. My feeling is, if it's your first time or your fifth time, if you're not in on Rogue One by the end of Jeddah, I don't know what to tell you. I remember one of the original problems I had with the film is it seemed like you didn't have a lot of time in these settings. Like, 
seeing Jin fight, seeing Chip fight, seeing all these characters do these things that in reality wasn't there wasn't a lot of it like you usually get like with the prequels and stuff like that. So I was like, I want to see more of it. It wasn't enough to really fill my craving of enjoyment. Now I can really appreciate it. That fight that like that scene with um, K2SO with the grenade and stuff like that. I can appreciate that instead of wanting the whole, you know, the scene to go on extendedly for like a few more minutes. I can appreciate that little bit. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was boring and you were in trouble. <laughs> I'm trying not to get too ahead to the other characters, yeah, but no, it, it, it can be applied to other characters as well. Yeah. Where I was like, I want more things with the movie. And now I'm like, you know what? It was just fine. I'm, I'm happy with it. I don't need to see more because you know what? This is gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's where the whole main crew, you know, comes together. Obviously, in Jetta and Saw Guerreros and so forth. So, okay, so let's keep moving. By the way, guys, again, just a reminder: we're going to try and bring in some of the uh, secondary characters, like Krennic and Galen and Galen and stuff, via these uh, the main characters. If we don't, we'll definitely talk about them at the end. So, don't worry about that. So, the second character who dies is Chirrut. And Jaggy Girl, I know a lot of people that's their favorite character in Rogue One and maybe their favorite or one of their favorite characters in the new um, in the new movies. Oh, yeah, he was definitely my favorite character when I first saw the film and I still love him. But Jin has since taken that place. I love how he like captures every scene that he's in. He's a blind warrior monk to quote the behind the scenes and the way that. What captures me when it comes to him, what captures me is his spirituality and his how dedicated he is to the cause. How his best friend has lost his faith, but he keeps his faith. And even though his friend has lost the same faith, he sticks by his friend. And the friendship is not defined mm-hmm. by his friend losing his faith and him mm-hmm. keeping his. So I actually want to specifically not talk about Baze and Chirrut together, even though it's hard not to. I want just as an experiment, but they have so many great lines. You know, he says, the force did protect me and Baze goes, I protected you. Um, you know, you almost shot me. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, and again, yeah. and again, going back to what I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier about how I really enjoyed what I got the first couple times watching it, but it wasn't enough for me. This time, it was just enough. Like, in on Jetta, when shit fights the stormtroopers, actually watching that and appreciating it instead of wishing it would have wanted more, I'm like, this is brilliant. I don't need to see him fight that level again. And I, I and it, it, like when he puts the stick on the stormtroopers' foot and he's like, is your foot okay or something <laughs> like that? It's just, it's little subtle touches. Mm-hmm. yeah um and you know i have a we, there's i don't want to go into the solo discussion here there's a lot of theories about why solo performed so poorly and as i've joked you know Jin, cassian and k2 is apparently worth three times what han chewy and lando are worth obviously i'm joking when i say that and that's not what's really going on i do think people yeah. wanted new characters and new stories even in the old universe and i think that's part of it but jaggy cry will say the reason rogue one made half of force awakens has partially to do with the lack of jedi and lightsabers but we did have chirrut and we did have force mysticism and we did have Jin talk 
talking about the Force, and we got none of that in Han Solo. And, and I can't imagine that's a coincidence. Can can I take a little bit of a playful shot? I'm, as long as it's not <laughs> Jyn so of course. No, but basically I was going to say, well, you know why? It's because they actually have a personality. Oh! I think people want new characters. I think people are totally cool with the new version of prequels as long as it's new characters and new storylines. People I, don't need, unless you're a hardcore fan, we don't need the Kessel Run explained to us. We don't need how the Millennium Falcon came to Han Solo or how his last name came to us. And Rogue One did none of that. All of the uh, nostalgia in Rogue One was show, not tell. It was told through imagery. It was told through connections to historical connections, but it was new characters and new storylines. I think that's ultimately why people liked Rogue One so much more and came out for it. And that is what made it such a mm-hmm. interesting character is because you created this new character that you could explore the force and faith in a new and refreshing way without having to be constricted to a set rules or a set destination. You can dive really deep into it without having to worry about conforming to a set ideas. And I really like what he brings to the table when it comes to the force and the faith because up until Rogue One, the only thing that we really have seen in canon was the Jedi, the Sith, the, I don't, not going to use the term Rogue Jedi, but just Force user, seeing a person who is in contact with the Force but has to focus it, focus, like, he can touch the Force but he really has to focus to do it. Has, it was something that we have not seen before. And I think it touches a lot of us who aren't maybe like the talented. Like, for example, I can't play an instrument. I'm deaf, I'm hot of hearing, I don't have any talent. But if I put my effort into it and I try and I put my time and effort into it, maybe I can. You know, I'm not going to be Beethoven, I'm not going to be, you know, Paul McCartney, but maybe I can actually do it. You know what I'm saying? And I think. That is what I really appreciate about him because he is—he doesn't have the force sensitivity. I like an Anakin and Skywalker, but only one. But he put diligence. He takes the time. He takes the effort. He has the strength of will and dedication to the force to listen to it, to hear it, to act on it. You know what I'm saying? I have so many questions for you on this. I don't even know where to start. Um... Okay, guys, so you know we did our uh, Phantom Menace commentary recently. By the way, I thought that went pretty well, our Phantom Menace commentary. Oh, yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, um, but you know that my only giant problem uh, from that movie has nothing to do with the midichlorians or Jar Jar. It has to do with sort of the holy force birth of Anakin, but the larger notion that some people are born strong, like Jesus with the force, and everybody else has nothing. And the term I hate is force sensitive because I feel like like if you look at the definition of the word sensitive, not the, not the definition of force sensitive that we've gotten in the movies, but the word sensitive and then you put it with the force, force sensitive, Chirrut seems to be sensitive to the force. I know he's not force sensitive like a Jedi, but he is clearly sensitive 
to the force. And his character and his being a kind of middle, yeah, not a great Jedi, but sort of in the middle there where he could touch the force. He's not a Jedi, as Baze makes fun of him. You know, there are no Jedis here. Um, actually really, even though there was so much less force talk, obviously, in Rogue One than in the Saga movies, the character of Chirrut really, um, I would say rebooted my interest in the Force. And I actually think, yeah. I think there's a direct line from the character of Chirrut to some of what was going on with Luke Skywalker and Rey in Last Jedi. I think Chirrut serves a very important detail because there's that perception that either you're born with the Force or you're not, but the Force isn't, it doesn't work that way. It goes through all living things. Like, even if you have a thousand midichlorians, quote unquote, or a hundred midichlorians, if you work hard and you focus on it, you can still touch the Force. Just because you don't have a high midichlorian count doesn't mean you cannot be in touch with the Force. Like I said, if you put enough effort, enough time, enough diligence, enough will power you can touch the force and shit is an example that anybody can touch the force yeah you might not be yoda you might not be obi-wan kenobi you might not be a full-fledged jedi but that doesn't mean you cannot understand the will of the force that doesn't mean you can't communicate it with the will and that's what i really like about shit because he's not a jedi in the prequel term sense of the word he's not a jedi in the legend sense of the word no he is just an ordinary man who has this strong face in the force and is able to touch the force that I think touches a lot of us who can relate to that. You know what I'm saying? And Jay Geekrow, you have to realize some of my contributors who aren't Star Wars fans, like Brett and Alistair, didn't even realize that the that the Jedi were a religion before the Last Jedi. You know, like it's not clear to a lot of people. And I think Chirrut brought that in. Yeah, the belief aspect, the faith aspect of it. But Jedi Geek Girl, I have to say. If so, if you look at if you look at the Jedi, you know you've got yeah you've got lightsabers and you've got force powers and you can flip all over the place and jump great heights and pull lightsabers and pull all sorts of crazy shit like we saw in the Phantom Menace and it's glorious and we love that stuff and Ray moving rocks and so forth that's all great but I would argue from just a wisdom standpoint from an intellectual wisdom standpoint Chirrut Emway is one of the wisest characters in terms of the force we've ever seen in Star Wars. Oh, can I say something? Yeah. I 130% agree with you on that. I yeah. think when it comes to the spirituality force, I think Chirrut is right up there mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Oh, yeah, like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, if we had Chirrut and the Jedi Council during the prequels, or, I mean, let's be honest, Chirrut Imwe as a 55-year-old, way wiser in terms of the philosophy of the Force than 55-year-old Luke Skywalker at the beginning of The Last Jedi. It's not even close. I mean, if Luke Skywalker at the beginning of The Last Jedi had Chirrut to advise him, we might be able to avoid some of those problems. And we are getting really deep here, but the Force isn't about what the Jedi can do. Like Luke Skywalker says, you know, the Force is not about lifting rocks. It's not about doing these amazing things. It's, you know, Chirrut embodies what the Force actually is. You know, it's not, it's a spiritual thing. It's not a feat thing. It's not a power thing. Like the dark side and the light side with the Jedi and the Sith. And, oh, oh, yeah, I did not expect to get so excited. Yeah, it's just, it's just, wow, you know. I know some people, so, you know, just like with Stardust, some people felt like there was too much of the, 
I am with the force and the force is with me, but I don't think you could have set up that epic final scene where he's walking through the blasts of the death troopers towards the master switch and, and Baze is screaming out for him to come back and you have that epic side scrolling shot, like one of the greatest shots in the history of Hollywood where the camera pulls back to the side and you see Chirrut walking through this horrible war situation. The death troopers trying to take him down and he's just walking towards the thing and Baze is yelling at him. You need to set that stuff up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think Rogue One understood that. Like it, there's a difference between treating your audience it's like they're dumb and you know setting up dramatic um payoffs you know like it's like the stardust thing it's like we can't assume everyone's a red catalyst in rebel rising you know like you have to set that up so the average american knows the stardust payoff you need to set up the prayer about i am with the force and the force is with me so you have that amazing payoff not just with chirrut but we'll get to in a second with Baze finally embracing the spirituality again at the end with his dead buddy right yeah, I'm just sitting in. I'm shaking my head on everything that you're saying. And even just talking about the film, I'm, I'm growing in appreciation with it because you are nailing everything when it comes to Chit and his faith and that scene. And I'm sure some people wrote it off. But if you look at it, like what we were talking about, about the spiritual, about the film, setting it setting it up and stuff like that, it, it works. And I think it is absolutely well executed and really brilliant. So two or more three, uh, two or three more quick cheerful things, and we'll get to Bodhi, who dies next. Um, one, I lo- I think the best like written line in all of Star Wars is when um, they're in Saw Gerrera's. I've said this before, but just for the listeners, when they're in Saw Gerrera's and they're in the prison, and and Cassian says, "I think me and the Force have different priorities," or whatever. Uh, and Chirrut says, don't worry, Captain, we've been in much worse situations than this. And then Cassian says, this is a first for me. Um, and Chirrut says, there are more than one kind of prison, Captain. I sense you carry yours wherever you go. Um, which completely captures Cassian's character, both with everything we had seen up to that point and everything we see afterwards. I mean, we'll get to Cassian. Such a brilliant performance. You can tell he's unhappy by these horrible things he has to do from the beginning, and he gets increasingly unhappy and uncomfortable as the movie goes along. Chirrut nails him, but he doesn't condescend to him. And when he says to... He asked Baze uh, about Cassian, uh, um, about his face, and, and, and Baze says he is the face of a friend, and then, of course, you know, he says, well, you know, he senses the dark, uh, you know, the the force moves darkly with one who's about to kill. And that's when Jin realizes he's going to kill his dad and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so much going on. They realize how complicated the character Cassian is. But 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 but, but Chirrut is always aware of what's going on. As Simi says, uh, you know, we, we, we can talk about spy thrillers. He's always clocking the situation just mentally, he, you know, and that's why he immediately trusts and loves and wants to follow Jin. Um, and so my last, uh, my personal, Hold on. yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, before we moved on, I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't he the only human character that really keeps his calm from the Rogue One crew? Um, like you don't see him, uh, you know, yeah. 
I mean, he, he's Yoda without the force powers, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what I was going to ask you was, um, the, uh, so, you know, he, he, he calls Jin over in Jeddah and, and Jin is confused because he's blind. He's not even looking at her. Um, and he says, you know, you trade your, your necklace for a reading or whatever. And she says, and you, and you know, I was wearing a Kyber crystal. I goes, ah, for that you must pay. Um, uh, but then he says the strongest, uh, the, uh, the, um, the brightest stars or the strongest stars have hearts of Kyber. What did you make of that line? Was he being literal? Was he being metaphorical? I'm still not sure what to make of that line. The strongest stars have hearts of Kyber. I think it, I think that you can, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I would really read into it because there are many ways that you can read into it. I wouldn't be surprised if it has something to do with the force mm-hmm. that the, the strongest hearts are those made of Kyber. I guess the, the strongest, the motion, I said, I think it, I do, I no, do yeah. think it has something to do with the force and yeah. the force being with you. And it, if you are able to do things, if with the, when you have the force in you, if you open yourself up to the force, you are able to be the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. I guess, I, I don't know. I haven't really sat and thought about it, to be honest. Okay, so, so just to break it down a little film theory here. So, so we talk about stars. First of all, Jen is stardust, right? So I think there's clearly a reference there. And he's saying, you're one of the brightest stars, you know, and you have a heart of Kyber. That's why you have the Kyber necklace. I think that's the most direct thing he's kind of saying. Because he immediately wants to follow her as soon as he kicks all the stormtroopers' asses. He immediately follows her for the whole movie. He holds her hand after her dad dies. I mean, you know, as I've said, what's brilliant about the movie is Jin wins over each member of the crew for different reasons over the course of the film. And that's why she's, you know, she leads at the end. She's not leading at the end because she's our lead character of Star Wars and she's the female badass, so she's leading. She actually wins them all over for different reasons. But he, he knows immediately. Um, now, he's, I think he's also referring to the Death Star being powered by kyber crystals, I think. Um, there's a lot going on there. I do think it has something to do with the Force because the kyber crystals are used in the weapons of a Jedi. They're used they're associated with force users, and you have this quote-unquote non—you know, non-Jedi that has a type of crystal that is strong-willed that you can see the force, you know, moving her towards this direction, and she has this symbol mm-hmm. of a religion that is strong with the force. So it's like the yeah the strongest hearts so the strongest people are those who are infused with the force you know it, it i'm still trying to dissect it but i still think it, i do think it has something to do with the force hmm. all right oh i'm sure we could talk this forever um but let's move to bodhi um as i mentioned in my multiple commentaries bodhi's a very tricky character uh, that in lesser hands would be very forgettable 
and that's why they got Riz Ahmed. Even though Riz Ahmed is the youngest of the Rogue One crew, like in real life, he's the youngest of the act. Well, no, he's about Felicity Jones's age. He's among the younger of the crew, but he's been nominated for a whole bunch of Golden Globes and Emmys, maybe even won some for TV and movie performances. A brilliant actor. Uh, which is why they, I, you know, again, one of my big points about Rogue One is you make it work by getting all these veteran award-winning actors who can take a small amount of material and not a lot of lines and make it work so well. Bodhi is a character that gets better for me with each watching. Um, you know, obviously him getting tortured by Saw is, is maybe the one part of the movie that wasn't completely necessary, but it does allow him to have sort of a reclamation journey where he comes back to himself and really helps, um, in, in a, in a giant way. But I, I especially love the conversation he has on the way to Edu after Jeddah's blown up with Jen talking about how inspirational Galen was and saying he could get his head right, he could be a good person if he could just, you know, and do the right thing. And that immediately, again, connects him to, to Jen. Um, and so I thought he, he, in some ways, had the very most difficult job because he was such a subtle character um are you interested in that character at all has that changed at all for you over time it has what really draws me to the characters is the subtlety in his acting like the little ticks the evolution of the character you have this pilot who basically leaves the imperial service to pass on a message that he had to take a leap of faith to do because he did not know what he was getting into. And he basically had his mind taken away from him for doing it. And what I really like about it is you see this evolution of a character who comes back from losing his mind. And I think that drives everything back to Jen because I don't think if he was not in that scenario, I don't think he would have come back to himself. And I think that gives a lot of... I think he does not get a lot of credit because imagine if you're in that situation, you have your mind violated and basically taken away from you where you lose your mind. You're basically insane. And there's there's not a good chance of you coming back to yourself. And he's able Mm -hmm. to come back where I don't think other people have. You know what I'm saying? And this is people where brilliant writing comes in. What's the last thing he says before he gets blown up by the grenade at the end? He says, this is for you, Galen. It tells you so much about the character and the character's history, right? I mean, his whole life was changed by his meeting Galen and them forming some sort of relationship and Galen turning him to get this message to his daughter who he loves so much. Bodhi is the, is the means and the method by which it happens. And to say, this is for you, Galen, with that look on his face right before he gets blown up at the end. That's brilliant writing. I mean, you just don't see that in, in movies, period, Star Wars or otherwise. Um, I, yeah. I do think he is underappreciated. I think that. He has looked past upon his dedication. He is dedicated to the cause. Once he is reminded that he is the pilot, oh, I'm the pilot that is supposed to bring the message. Oh, I'm supposed to do this to pass on the message to Galen because of this. One day, it was a series of events that he was dedicated to his goal. He was dedicated to the cause, and that allowed him to come back from this darkness. And I don't want to get into the extra material too much because the comics talk about this where Mm -hmm. it really makes me appreciate it because you can apply it to real life 
in addiction or where you're lost in depression or something like that, that no matter how far gone you are, if you have a reason to live or a reason to move on, you can basically overcome anything and achieve everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do think that he's really underappreciated. And I love what the actor brought to the role. I really love the subtle ticks. And even occasionally breaking the tension, I mean, you know, at the end when Jin gives the big speech to the council and they decline to go along with her plan and she comes out and, you know, bays and, and Etchard could tell she's upset and she wants to fight and they want to fight and Bodhi wants to fight. And that's when Cassine comes with the whole, you know, extended Rogue One crew, the real heroes, the grunts on the ground, and gives that amazing speech about, you know, about assassin saboteurs and it all have been for nothing with the cause and it, it's an amazing speech, but as it goes along, as I always talk about, him and Jin are just giving each other increasingly sexy looks, and there's sort of a, a pregnant pause after Cassian gives that speech, and then Bodhi has a funny line about being like, it'll be crowded, we'll all fit, you know, it'll be, you know, like, it'll be a little crowded, but we'll fit everybody, you know, like, you just need those little beats, you know, to break the tension after those dramatic moments, and he nails it, because Riz Ahmed is, is brilliant. He reminds me of a a little brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Speaking of little brother, switching to little sister, the next to die is Baze. And while Baze is somewhat overshadowed by Chirrut, I would argue Chirrut wouldn't be n- nearly as cool without Baze. And we get amazing dialogue between the two of them. By the way, both of those are veteran Chinese actors, I mean, Donnie Yen in the West is well known for his Kung Fu movies. Um, the, the actor who plays Baze, whose name I always forget, uh, is a legend in China. I mean, he's he's been in, you know, he's a giant film star in China um, and is actually older than he looks and, and did an amazing job in the movie. But him as the non-believer, while Chirut remains a believer, I think was was an important counterpoint, right? It was, yeah, and I thought it was really interesting to have this duel where one of half of them is, like, to use a real world term, an atheist, where that doesn't define his loyalty to his friend, and he is always there for his friend, even though he himself has lost his faith. I think it's really nice, like, of all the characters, he seems to be pretty much the most gun-ho of all of them when it comes to aggression and obviously his weapon and choice and stuff like that, where it, it's really like, you know, he's like, I am going to do this, I don't care, but, you know, I'm here for my friend, and at the end of the day, I no matter what we think, no matter our philosophies, you know, we're friends, and I'm here for you. I love the back and forth between them, especially in Sagarera's prison, where he, where Chirut's praying to the force for the door to open, and Baze is giving him a hard time, you know, like cynically laughing, like uh, this guy is praying for the door to open, and Chirut just goes, Baze Balbus was once the most devoted guardian of us all, you know, like, and that's amazing world building. You can imagine 30 years ago, pre-Order 66, that Baze Balbus was like one of the protectors of the Jedi, 
who's, by the way, born on, I don't know if Chirrut was born on uh, um, Jeddah. I do know Baze was born on Jeddah. So, I, you know, just the amazing world building that goes on in, in the back and forth between those two characters. And he doesn't realize until it's too late that, you know, that, that Chiru ha- has the right idea about the Force. And Chiru's dying words, of course, are, you know, look to the Force and you'll always find me. And, Chir- you know, obviously Baze goes out in a blaze of glory, killing Death Troopers, uh, saying, speaking the prayers that he's been mocking the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I really love about the chemistry is that they go at it, but they are still friends. It's something that you wouldn't be able to get away with if you went close to the other person. And, and they both, you know, give it back to each other. And like what I said before, at that moment when he tells, when he calls Jin little sister, I never knew that before. I never caught that before. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a moment of real honesty and attachment that, you don't get outside of his relationship with Chit. Yeah, and until I did the commentary with Simi, even though he had watched Rogue One a thousand times, he never caught Jin holding Chirrut's hand, or Chirrut holding Jin's hand after her dad died. He'd never seen that. And so this, I mean, Rogue One is example 1A of why some movies need to be rewatched, you know? And I just think you know like you either are that kind of person or you're not and you know and i think when people do the rewatches you get that stuff but i think the movie was just just to go a little meta here and we'll get back to the characters the movie was too subtle for a lot of people on initial watchings and when mm-hmm. you when you add how depressing it seemed to be on the surface and when you add that there's no jedi and lightsabers or harrison ford or luke skywalker or carrie fisher and you add all of these things together people went to the theater saw it once and that was it um but this was a this is a movie where you like let's put it this way when you rewatch the force awakens you do catch a lot of new things each time and i fucking love the force awakens and it cracks me up all the time and i do notice things but i got the majority of the force awakens on the first time i would say whereas rogue one is one of those movies i would be the last jedi in this character uh, in this category too where you really need to watch a number of times to get things I think one of the problems that people have had with Beige is that they assume that he is this aggressive man-man who want to have his gun do the fighting, who doesn't have much because he's worn down and he doesn't care about anybody but his friendship, where he is, you know, he lost his faith. He is aggressive with his gun, but there's a lot more to the surface. And I think once I caught that little sister, and I don't know how I did not, I did, I still don't know how I saw, didn't know that before. You do realize that there's a lot more to the character than what you think is there under under your first viewing and assessment of the character. And as much as him and Chirrut, you know, uh, fight verbally, spar verbally. There's that great scene where they're, you know, about to get their asses out of Jeddah, and he th- he just throws Chirrut uh, the uh, the light bow, you know, and Chirrut grabs it without even and like it, it just they don't have to communicate. They've gone through this so many times before, you know. Oh yeah. Th- oh sorry. No good. Oh, I was gonna say, make no mistake, they love each other. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually, I never thought Baze was aggressive. I mean, he he only uses the gun to protect Chirrut and to kill stormtroopers. I, I I don't see it as a particularly aggressive, but I, I think well, it's yeah. I'm saying that some people probably could see that. You know, they see a guy with a gun who's a little rugged, who's a little you know worn down, and they automatically put that on him. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is a disservice to the character if you put that label on him. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, man, cradling, cradling Chirrut, and something I, I I always miss or not miss something I always forget. I always think that that Chirrut and Baze die near uh, or one after the other, but but Chirrut dies, and then Baze goes out to try and save him, and then the ship blows up with Bodhi in the distance, and Baze looks over. It looks like apocalypse now, like the whole world is ending. And that's when he's like, I'm I'm just gonna go down fighting. My best friend died, my buddy buddy's dead, our ship's gone, like uh and then he starts doing the forced prayer and you know, cocking his gun and just taking down death troopers. I mean, look, death troopers killed dozens of rebels in in that ex- extended bit, and he's just taken down death troopers, and he only dies because one of the death troopers hits a grenade before he can kill him, basically. Um and- yeah, and not only is he killing these death troopers, but he's being shot. You know, he takes yeah. what three shots before he finally falls down. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's crazy. You know, it it basically shows how how do I put this real? It's like real world full of mm-hmm. um what's the um adrenaline that he is. You know, he keeps going, and like you said, he basically only dies because of the grenade and that look of peace and fulfillment on his face. You basically, it's like, you know, wait, you feel happy for him because you have this character that is introduced that has, who lost his faith, you know, in real world, you know, how many of us, you know, lose our faith? It doesn't have to be religion. It can be other things too. Mm-hmm. Where, but when we come back to that and we come back to, that sense of this is who I am, mm. this is what I enjoy. It's like coming back to Star Wars, maybe, and you have that peace. It's like, you know what? I'm okay. I have no regrets. I am ready to move on. And something Simi pointed out uh, with, with Cassian, but now I've noticed with all the characters, is every single of the major characters dies with their eyes open. They all face death openly and bravely um it's 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 dark but it's it's extremely courageous uh and inspiring they they face their enemies and they face their fate with their eyes open um it is an amazing thing Um, yeah yeah no i i'm sitting here stunned because i never realized that and it just makes me appreciate more of the art of it that it's like that is something that not a lot of people can do when you have these characters who they pretty much like their realization and I don't want to get too ahead of myself when they know they are not going to make it out mm-hmm. instead of, you know, like hiding away. They accept their fate and they don't cower from it. Yeah. They embrace it. All right, Jedi girl. So... Before we get to the final act here, which is Jin and Cassian, which I literally am just going to give you open form on because I've talked about these two so much over the last year and a half. Um, 
in terms of Krennic, Galen, Lyra, any of the other, I, I want to, uh, any of the other, Mon Mothma, um, Jimmy, uh, uh, Bail Organa, Admiral Radis, any of the sort of secondary characters, side characters you want to talk about, and then we'll end with Jin and Cassian. I love Captain Radish. I bet he has a captain, right? Admiral. Admiral. I love Admiral Radish, especially after reading through the latest arc of the Vader comic. Mm. I really love how bold and motivated he is to not really jump into the war but how he is a leader he knows what needs to be done and he goes and do it does it like you see the movie and the rebels are about to leave and where's captain where's admiral radish oh he left already i i really like his mm-hmm. presence and his determination and his fierce and yeah he to me he is a standout character for Rogue one did you um I know it's hard to think about the first time you saw the movie, but did you relate to or have you come to relate to more the idea of the rebellion being way more complicated, divided, um, and complex than we originally thought and that we see in Rogue One between Radis on one side and then Saw Gerrera and then Mon Mothma and then the general who orders Galen's assassination having so much diversity and political opinion in the rebellion. Is that something you've related to more over time or even care about? I think when I first saw it, I was kind of taken back about how diverse it was not diverse how divisive it was how you had these different opinions i thought they would be more unified than what they actually were in that movie and i have learned to appreciate them all coming together through this act and what that leads to into the original trilogy Mm. Uh, at first i was like taken back i'm like this is not the rebellion that i know that i thought i knew Um, But now I really appreciate it because it is a really important moment. I mean, yeah, you have them healing the Death Star plans, but you actually have the rebellion actually coming together and be like, hey, we need to do this because if we don't, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. Hmm. Hmm. And speaking of which, all right, let's just do this. Cassie and Andor. I said in my immediate, so I did a bunch of, uh, um, you know, now all my podcasts are 90 minutes to two and a half hours, but I used to do shorter podcasts. I still do some quickies, but I did a bunch of short podcasts, one non-spoiler one, and then a couple of spoiler short podcasts after Rogue One, because I just wanted to keep talking about it. And I said at the time, and I still believe that to me, Cassian Andor is an all-time great classic rebel figure that complicates the rebellion and is one of the great performances of any characters within the rebellion itself we have ever seen. And even though I love Jyn Erso and have a you know ginormous crush, obviously, on Felicity Jones and Jyn Erso, I actually thought Cassian was more important even than Jyn to the story of Rogue One and, and was in some ways the main character, which is not taking anything away from Jyn, who I love and I was obsessed with, but I think Cassian was 
was really what the movie was about and his moral and emotional journey was what really uh, tied it together so those are my thoughts i i want to know what you think about cassian so correct me if i'm wrong but cassian is would be actually the first time that up until that point that we actually see what fighting in the rebellion for a long period of time as kind of a soldier in his position does to a person how it can kind of like make them disorientated and how they do things that they aren't happy with but they do it because they think that they are doing good i don't think but it's just something that we have not seen when it comes to the rebellion at least when it comes to the original trilogy correct Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know just with the fulcrum connection you know on the one hand you have ahsoka working in the background of the rebellion killing bad guys and on the other hand you have cassian working on the behalf of the rebellion killing good guys I mean, yeah, he's assassinating was- people right from the beginning that his 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 uh, superiors are telling him to kill e- even if they're supposedly good guys are working for the good guys on behalf of the quote-unquote cause mm-hmm And that is one of the things that I appreciated about the character is you see how he is doing this for the rebellion, but he doesn't feel like it is the right thing to do. Like when he kills that guy in the beginning, there's a good, what, three or five seconds where you can read it all over Mm -hmm. his face. He's so tormented. And with each new order throughout the movie that he just gets more and more upset about it. And what I love is Jin does give him a hard time when she realizes that he was trying to kill her father, but she doesn't guilt trip him to an an, uh, inordinate or irrational degree. She lets him stew on it. And that's what ultimately turns him, you know, to, to be the Cassian that we see in the second half of the movie, be such, be such a good guy. And what's great is he does start to really fall for Jin, but that's not what turns him. And I thought that was the brilliant writing of the movie was that the two of them ended up working great together as just, you know, partners, like professional partners in the rebellion. And they did start to fall for each other, but, but it wasn't necessarily because they were, they were falling for each other. Um, yeah. So he knows that he is on the right side. He knows that he's fighting against the evil, tyrannic empire, that he is on the right side. But I think he knows that the way that the rebellion is going about it and what he has to do is not the right way to do it. And I think Jin brings that out in, in him. Like he sees, hey, you know, here is this strong woman who knows how to, who presents this opportunity of the right thing to do. You know, the way to fight the empire has finally you know presented itself and he knows that now's the opportunity to act where before you know he was fighting for the rebellion but they weren't going about it the right way yeah i mean look growing up whether it was wedge or leia or mon mothma i loved the rebels and the rebellion but as you get older you realize how you know one or two dimensional the rebellion is in the initial Mm -hmm. trilogy and it was cassian in particular and rogue one in general that made me love the rebellion more because of how complicated it was and so i I don't want to say like cassian's my hero because i would not want to have to do the things that he did but to me he represents a true radical revolutionary that is trying to do the right thing 
and only goes off because let's be honest, they are desperate. There's a death star, you know? So, I mean, the, the, the universe is about to end in their world. I'm not justifying the fact that he kills the informant and is going to kill Galen Erso, but you can understand where that rationale comes from. You know, they're trying to do anything to win the war. In the end, he makes the right decision and yields to Jin's vision of, of what the, what they should do. But, but Cassian to me is a true hero. And I know, by the way, in, in real world terms, in the Latino world, little, little boys and girls love Cassian. And it was great that he was Mexican and that he could speak in his thick accent and, and really channel that sort of Mexican Latin American revolutionary thing. Um, and, uh, also being super sexy and good looking as well. He's just such a badass. He's, he's my favorite. You know, I just, he's what I love about the rebellion. Number one, I will go ahead and say it, even though there is other material where this has happened. I'll say that he has redefined what it means to be in the rebellion and a rebel, because we have not seen this step when it comes to the rebellion and a rebel character, at least not when it comes to canon. I don't know about legends, but that's not the conversation. So I'll say that about him. Number two, you can definitely see the growth in his character, where in the beginning he is, he is by the books, he obeys his orders, he kills the informant, and you see him moving away from that, becoming his own person, you know, where the big turning point is with Galen, where he decide, where he doesn't follow through. And finally, with him going off to Scarf, is, is the final turn of him, mm-hmm. of being a independent person, still a, still a rebel, but, you know, free from that soldier role, if you will. Hmm. Yeah. So, all right, Jedi Geek Girl. It's time. It's time. So, guys, we are going to do final thoughts about this. I'm also going to ask Jenna Geek Girl at, at the end where, where, where Rogue One is on her list, just for posterity. I There's nothing more I can say about Jen Erso or Felicity Jones at this point that I've not already said. So, I'm going to shut up and let you say whatever you want uh, uh, as long as you want or as short as you want as much as you want as little as you want about Felicity Jones and or Jen Erso so go ahead I love Jen Erso Jen Jen Erso is the one Star Wars character outside of Jar Jar Binks because who doesn't who who I relate to most I feel like I connect to the character I feel like spiritually I am Jen especially at moments where I am like the Towards the beginning of the movie, Jen, and sometimes I feel like the latter end of the movie, Jen. I really like her growth and stuff like that. I really learned to appreciate what the movie is when it comes to her growth and development as a character. When I first saw the movie, I didn't. Jen was kind of a disappointment because the acting was so subtle. But once I have went back and rewatched it, I was able to appreciate uh, the subtleness of the acting and really grow to appreciate the growth that the character goes through. And she is so tragic that, not in the bad sense, but you know, she, she goes through a lot. And, but you know, at the end of the day, she still does what is right, despite being kicked down over. And over and over again, it's just 
it just goes to show you how strong she is and no matter how much you go through, you can still change, in this case, uh, the galaxy. Mm. It's just, I she, she's still not up in my top five yet, but that's because I need to manage with her a little bit. Because I learned to appreciate and love the character, but I need to soak in it a little bit before mm. I move her up on my list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you two specific questions? about her mm-hmm. one is about Jin and one's about felicity um so i'll ask you about Jin first um what does Jin bring to the because you know i let Jin ray and leia are all on the top of my list for everything um so what does Jin bring to the tape not that it's better or worse but like what does Jin bring to the table that the other lead female star wars characters who are also strong in various ways that we've seen. What does Jin bring to the table? Is even just one thing that we haven't seen in other Star Wars characters? Hmm. Just for you. Just your experience of her. I would say that of all the lead female characters, unfortunately, including Rey, I think she's the most alone, isolated, because even though Rey is alone, she still, you know, she gets into Watan and Finn and she's very, you know, she connects with people fairly well despite not having too much social interaction with Jen, you know, she, she's like an island out on her own. And I want to say that she's more dedicated to the cause, but no, I think Leia is really dedicated to the cause as well, as, as, as well as the other ones do, but I would say that she's more of an island out on her own compared to the other ones. Hmm. Um, actually, I do have the question about Felicity, but one more about Jin. Um, so I've said many times, I was the one thing I wasn't looking forward to in Rogue One initially was the daddy daughter story, and it ended up being one of my many favorite things of all the favorite things of Rogue One. Would you agree with me though that as great as it is, the, just the interaction between Mads Mikkelsen um, and and Jin? Um, both gins, I should say, but especially Felicity, um, it gets better over time with rewatches. Oh yeah, it, it was definitely well done. Like they could, they could have very easily gone over the top, like most of these Hollywood films do. Mm. Whenever they have a destiny scene, which is also a reunion, they could have done that. But it's, I don't want to say it's more realistic, but it works. It, you know, I think if it was over dramatic. It wouldn't have worked as much. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of Felicity, um, I mean, you know this, but one of the things I love about her outside of the movie is Felicity has embraced the role in the fans to a degree a lot of the, uh, Star Wars leads throughout the years haven't necessarily. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, she was already a veteran actress. There's a lot of pressure on young actresses from Carrie Fisher to Daisy Ridley. Not that they don't love the fans, but she's really embraced it. Uh, and that's always a lot of fun. Um, but is there anything about... Uh, um, 
I, I know you don't normally like to go outside of you know what what's going on in the movies, but is there anything about sort of Felicity's like look or personality or whatever that you just find kind of really appealing? Uh, the more the more y- you watch it, that makes it such a distinct character, such a distinct experience. I think because I don't I don't have that much experience with her outside of Rogue One until I watched the documentary. I think her smile, for one, I really do appreciate her smile, but she has a sense of life to her that I don't, nothing against the other, other actors, but that she seems to have. It seems like she brightens up the the scene whenever, whenever she comes on as herself as Felicity that you can appreciate that she brings to the role and you can tell that this is not another job for her. She is passionate. You know, she's excited. You know, she's enjoying herself. And she seems like a really positive and upbeat beat person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I again, I've said this before. <laughs> I'll say it again. Even though Ray Daisy Ridley is the successor to Leia as as the lead female character of the saga movies, um, I think Felicity Jones as Jen is more similar to Leia in the initial trilogy, especially when you consider the crazy chemistry between Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, and the, oh, I consider excellent <laughs> chemistry between Diego Luna and Felicity Jones. But also, they're both rebels, they're both fighters, they're both extremely complicated. Ray, for me, is you know the female Luke Skywalker, and that's awesome. But for me, from a spiritual standpoint, in terms of acting an appearance on screen and this might be something you totally disagree with i think there's more leia uh, in um in jen than there is in ray oh i i can definitely see that i think one of the things i learned to appreciate when it comes to jen is her evolution is not as forefront like Ray is. Like Ray you can pretty much tell what she's feeling, how she's reacting. She is very emotional expressive is probably the better way to phrase it. Where Jen is it's very subtle. Her growth and her opening up is very subtle. And I think that is what Felicity Jones brings to the role that I really appreciate because you do miss it on your first and your second time. Where now you see the subtleness and Going back to the scene with Saul and Anjeda, it's, it's very subtle, but once you go and get invested in it and can appreciate it, you can really buy into it and appreciate it. If Felicity was willing to come back and do a kind of, you know, Rebel Rising pre-Rogue One uh, smaller movie, do you think that could work? I think it is possible. There's three years between her, how do I put this, uh, spoiler alert, losing her second family mm-hmm. and her getting captured. So there's time to tell a story there. So. Hmm. All right. Well, this this was great. Um, and I'm going to give you final thoughts. Uh, but to, to So I'm just going to throw it to you. But to, be, to begin your final thoughts, and then you can give your final thoughts. To begin your final thoughts, where was Rogue One on your list? Where is it now? Um, and then you can give us final thoughts on the film. I think originally, I think originally it was seven or eight 
uh, out of the top 10 or out of the 10 live action films. And now? Now it is number five. I am debating about what well, we'll get into it later, but right now it is number five between, behind uh, Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, The Last Jedi, and Return of the Jedi. So it's number five. I have a giant smile on my face right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and it's not because, guys, just so you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a proselytizer, a missionary of Rogue One. It's not because I need any sort of ego boost from people. I just love the movie so much. And so when people I respect greatly who love uh, Star Wars love this movie more and more, it just makes me happy. And to be in the company of the movies you just mentioned, I think is a great honor. Oh, yeah. And, and I can definitely see it. Maybe one day getting into the top three, if not the top four, but maybe. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I, I'm happy to throw it into mm-hmm. that pool of movies without ranking them and be like, yeah, you know, these are my favorite Star Wars films. Not that I don't appreciate and love the other Star Wars films, but... Mm-hmm. These are the ones that I really appreciate from a objective point of view as well as a uh, as a fan and a lover of Star Wars. I think the thing we can agree on, and we'll close on this, is Rogue One is how you do nostalgia, not Solo. And I hope Lucasfilm learns the right lesson here, which is not to stop doing the standalone stories, but to do them more like Rogue One, where it's in a period we know about, but with brand new characters and brand new stories, as opposed to characters we already know about and we already know the stories, and it's just a matter of uh, you know playing out sort of nostalgia fantasies, I guess. I agree 100%, and I want to say one more thing mm-hmm. before I sign off and might do my wrap-up, but... Mm-hmm. This, you know, what made what made Star Wars, the original trilogy, so great compared to the prequel films is you had this new cast of characters that you followed in and through a story. Like, I enjoy the prequels, but one of the problems with the prequels is you're telling a story about characters we already know. Once you tell a story involving new characters, you really allow Star Wars to really shine. And that is why I am looking forward to the Ryan, Ryan Johnson trilogy is because mm. it will be Star Wars like we have not seen before because because it's not tied to these characters that we already know. Well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm not going to say anything because I, I'm, I love this. I love that we had this discussion. I love that you had this experience. We could talk about it. I said all I need to about this movie. You know, I, I, I think the only thing I'll, I'll restate Jaggy Girl is that part of why I love Rogue One is not just that it's my favorite Star Wars movie, but that I think it's, it, it is, it's such an epic and beautiful epic, um, uh, movie that 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 matches up with the sort of great historical epics that we've seen in Hollywood, Star Wars or not. Um, I'm not saying it's better than you know the original trilogy in terms of Star Wars movies, but to me, Rogue One just feels like a brilliant epic movie that's in Star Wars. Um, and as a film guy, uh, as well as a Star Wars guy, that's something that really appeals to me. And I will give you final word. I. Definitely go back and revisit it if you haven't already. And remember that 
if there is a film that doesn't really stick with you in a franchise that you enjoy, and I'm talking about a certain film that was released eight months ago, <laughs> give it time, allow it to breathe, and come back to it. Who knows what will happen? And mm-hmm. with that, I am Jedi Geek Girl. You can find me at irebeldestiny.com. You can find my podcast anywhere where you have podcasts by searching I Rebel as well as Destiny Podcast. You can find my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Destiny, And you can send me an email at irebeldestiny at gmail.com. And of course, on Twitter at Jedi Geek Girl. And without further ado, Jedi Geek Girl, out. Later, people.